Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this day, and thank you for your people. Thank you, Father, for the encouragement we uh, have one towards another, and all because of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you bless this service, pray that your spirit would be upon the service, and lead us and guide us and help us to uh, say what you want us to say. And Father, I pray that you be glorified in this time, and we thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. The Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Thank you. May be seated. Now this verse of scripture is a a wonderful and a, a glorious verse that God gave to every believer to claim and to adhere uh, during difficult days. And the thing we have to have, and this is where faith comes in, we have to have faith that God's working everything out for, our, for his glory, and it's going to benefit us. And that's a wonderful thing to, to have. I've mentioned this before uh, recently because we've been around this verse. But this is not for the world. This is not for just everyone. This is specifically for God's people. And the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to who? To those that love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So it's not for the unsaved. And it's not for saved people who are not doing God's will for their life. It's for those who are saved. Now, the Bible tells us, we're going to have a little review here. Uh, we have to review this context. We see back in verse 22 of this chapter, and we see the groanings of creation. And the Bible says in verse 22... Uh, for we know that a whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And so, you know, the whole world, uh, I guess, uh, sounds in, in a minor key. I think that's what I, I've been told. Uh, the, the wind and the, the, the world itself. And uh, it groans. Why is it groaning? Because of sin. That's all, it always goes back to sin. And uh, then we see not only the, the groaning, the, the groaning of the child of God, verse 23. And the Bible says, and not only they, but ourselves also would have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So there's a groaning among uh, the child of God. And the Bible tells us what this is all about. Why are we groaning? What's the problem? The Bible says, waiting for the adoption uh, to wit the redemption of the body. That's what, that's what our groaning is about. What, you know, the frustration is not our spirit and our soul. They've been converted. They've been redeemed. And that's a wonderful thing, to know, to know, to know that you've passed from death on a life. But the Bible tells us here that there's still a frustration in the child of God's life. And what is it? It's the groaning of our bodies. The things that we would do, we don't. The things we shouldn't do, we do. These things that Paul spoke about in chapter 7. And again, the redemption of the body. And that's going to come at the rapture. And so, you know, if you die before the rapture, if I die before the rapture, you know, our body goes into the tomb, uh, go in the grave, and our soul and spirit go with the Lord. At the rapture, the body is going to be taken out of the grave, and the Bible teaches that first. The body's going to, those who have passed on, they're going to come out of the grave. And then those which are alive remain shall be caught up in the air 
uh, to be with the Lord forevermore. So the, the, the thought here is our body is going to be converted. Now notice if you would, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, notice uh, right at the end of the chapter, uh, the Bible says in verse 50, For this I say, brethren, uh, and, and uh, the flesh and blood shall not, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So we know this, that flesh and blood, so our body's got to be changed. And notice the next verse, in verse 51, Behold, I show you mystery. Uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So it is a mystery. It's never happened before in our, in our time, in our, in our day and age, where our bodies are going to be taken up to be with the Lord and will be changed. And that's, that's what the Bible says. It's, this is a mystery. So God goes on and says, In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. And then the, this corruptible shall put on uh, incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is the victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to our God, which giveth to uh, us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's go to First Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and again, this is a, a, another verse of Scripture dealing with this subject of, of the taking away of the saints. And we pick it up here in chapter 4, and notice, if you would, um, uh, we'll start here in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which we do, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So the Bible speaks about people who, who have passed on as sleeping. And uh, isn't that a wonderful term that God uses? You know, the, the loss, the, it's terrifying to die without Christ. But to be saved, the Bible calls sleep. And then notice in Wood verse, 20, uh, verse 15, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that which, uh, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall, shall rise first. So those who are in the graves, wherever they are, they've been drowned at sea, in, in the graves, you know, they've been burned to death. God knows where they are. <laughs> and God's going to quicken them and bring them up into uh, the, the air. And then the Bible says in verse 17, Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So think about William Tyndale. He's a great, great Baptist preacher. And uh, he, they called him uh, Lollards. Uh, he was the, the type of preacher he was. And he, he wanted to have the King's English uh, he wanted to translate from the Greek and Hebrew to the King's English. And he prayed for that. And he did a lot of work, uh, William Tyndale. Really, the King James Bible, which we have on our laps right now, a lot of it could be attributed to uh, William Tyndale. Well, anyway, uh, he, was, he was murdered and uh, 
and then they, they dug him back up after they killed him, after a while, and they took the body out and they burned it. And then they threw it all over the Tim's River. And uh, I'm thinking about, you know, so you think about your body being burned, the ashes, and now they're thrown out to a river. Well, who knows where it is? But God does. And God's going to call it. He's going to quicken T- uh, William Tyndale's body, and he's going to bring it up uh, into the presence of the Lord and be changed. So this, this is going to happen. And the Bible teaches uh, that this is going to take place in our lives. Now notice the Bible goes on and tells us, not only the groaning of creation, the groaning of the child of, of God, but also the groaning of the spirit uh, of the comforter. Uh, now notice verse 26, please. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for, as we ought to, as we ought, but uh, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we see the, the, the groaning of creation, the groaning of the child of God, but even the Spirit of God uh, groans uh, on our behalf. Why? Because of our sin. And uh, that's what he does. So we see the review uh, of this context, and then the reasoning, the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And establishing the hope in the believer's life. And those verse 24 and 25, the Bible says, uh, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Right? So the idea is, if I see uh, Bernie, I say, oh, I can't wait to see Bernie, but I see him. I'm not hoping to see him, I see him. You know? But to, Paul is saying here is our hope, the expectation of the Lord's return. We're expecting Christ to return. You say, well, this is all, you know, it's not really based on truth. So I have to tell you, you know, the plain sense makes common sense, seek the other sense, otherwise becomes nonsense. And that's what the Bible teaches. And so God tells us there's a thing known as a taking away of the saints. And uh, people are now uh, meddling with it. You know, when I was saved back in 74, uh, 76, you know, it was pretty established that the next thing in prophetic calendar is the taking away of the saints. And then the tribulation period would come right, you know, right there at the beginning of it. And then after that, the battle of Armageddon, the thousand-year millennial reign, and then eternity, and so on. But then we, we started seeing... When people started preaching uh, a mid-trip rapture, and then uh, a no-trip, and all these different things. And I'm saying, you know what it is? I, I really believe that all my heart. It's people who just are not willing to submit to Scripture. That's what it is, the bottom line. They're not willing to submit to Scripture. And so they, they don't understand Matthew 24. They, they don't interpret it properly. Matthew 24 primarily, primarily deals with Israel. That's what the whole chapter is about. And it's not because uh, Matthew was a Jew, he wrote to the Jews. Matthew was a Jew who's a saved Jew, who's converted to Christ, and he wrote to the church. You know, the teaching about, you know, the gates of hell should not prevail against what? The church. And, uh, you know, the, the discipline in the church. In Matthew 28, uh, Matthew 18 rather, there's so much in there about the, the Lord's New Testament church. So yes, he wrote to the Jews, 
But it wasn't the whole book and not written to the Jews. He wrote in the perspective that Jesus was king of the Jews. But it's a New Testament book, and it's written to a local church or that, that, that idea. So we find here where people started messing around with prophecy. And I'll be honest with you, I just, again, I look at the scriptures. I just see what is the Bible teaching. Revelation is a, a book that... Uh, Pretty much is chronological. There's some uh, periods of time within the seven years that God stops and allows us to uh, see an interpretation going on. But most of it is chronological. It's a church age of three, uh, first three chapters, chapter six through nineteen, deal with the tribulation period. Chapter nineteen is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the return of Christ to planet Earth. And they're actually going to see him. He's going to land on Mount Olives. He's going to wipe out the U.N. army. And God is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. The Bible teaches that. And when people say, well, I, you know, I just think, I think there's a, a verse. I'm telling you, people just messing up the word of God. A bunch of lost people doing it. I say that with all sincerity. I remember there was a book uh, that was going around written by a Baptist. And uh, he was promoting uh, the idea, uh, I don't exactly understand all of it because I wasn't interested in it. It was not, not based on the Bible. And uh, it was a hot subject for a while. Uh, and I just, you know, I was dealing with this. And uh, people had questioned, what do you think, preacher? What do you think? What do you think? I haven't changed my, my, my mind whatsoever when it comes down what the Bible teaches. Now, I'm open to it. If I come across something that I could say, oh, you know, you're right. I, I agree that you, you're right about that. You, I have it. And so I'm going to stick by what I've taught, what I believe, what the Bible teaches. I'm not, I'm not going to go against that. Why? It, it works. It's true. It's what the Bible teaches. So the whole idea of the mid-trib and the post-trib and the no-trib and... Yeah, we believe in a, a pre-trib, uh, pre, uh, and we believe that rapture is going to take place and the tribulation will begin. So that's what Paul is writing about here, about the, you know our hope and our hope in this concern of the Spirit. The word hope is used five times in these two verses, verse 24 and 25. It's a word which used to speak uh, towards the future. And hope is defined as something to anticipate. Uh, it uh, uh, speaks of expectation or confidence or faith. So when we say, uh, I hope it works out, that's not what this word means. The word hope is speaking about an expectation. In other words, I'm expecting this to happen. This is going to happen. What do I base that upon? The word of God. What the Bible teaches and uh, to, to say, well, I, I hope, like, I, I hope this, I hope I, I'm sorry about using this analogy, but I hope I, I win the, uh, the lotto, or, or I hope I, which you shouldn't play lotto, uh, anyway, uh, or I hope the, the Jets win the game. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. It's not happening. So, um, so anyway, you know, that kind of hope, I'm not sure. This is not what the Bible teaches about hope. Paul is expecting the Lord to return. 
He's expecting Jesus Christ to come back for his children. He's expecting our bodies to be changed. He's expecting us to be with in the Lord. God said in the first Thessalonians 4, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So when we say to each other, the Lord's coming back. What should that do? Should it terrify us? Not for a child of God. It should comfort us. Amen. Good. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So the, the teaching here is uh, on that on that note now the thought is god is working for his glory and for our betterment the bible says here in verse 28 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love god to them that are called according to his purpose so he's working for our good our uh, his glory and our betterment Now, we need to have the mindset of the child of God in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for uh, as we ought, but the the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the the, the idea is that uh, the enlightenment uh, concerning our helper, our comforter, is uh, is it, it, what God does? He, he's speaking to us. He, he's in us. You know the Bible tells us. Let's do a little review here. Uh, in verse uh, chapter one, verse thirteen of Ephesians, Ephesians one and verse thirteen. Let's let's look at that. As the Bible says uh, in verse thirteen, and the Bible says, "In whom ye also trusted after." You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you, you have to hear the word of God first. And you, the, the idea is when you hear it, you've got to believe it. The, the Bible is not made up of stories and fables. This is the, this is the word of God. It's a, it's a book of truth. And you may argue with this and so on, but I'm telling you, anyone who argues with the word of God, I want to say as nice as I can, they're fools. They're, they're, they're ignorant. They don't understand what God's word says. So God tells us it's the word of truth. Notice he said in verse 13, in, in whom you also uh, trust after you heard the word of truth. Now you say, well, you know, the word of truth, you know, there's not a lot of truth in the world. A lot of the world is made up of lies. I'm speaking about governments, you know, uh, stories that are made up. Uh, you know, situations that are somewhat deceptive from what really happened. I mean, do you believe that John Kennedy, our, our president, was shot by Lee Harvey Oswald? Come on. I, I don't believe any of that. I, I, believe, I believe he was, he was uh, taken out. And who, who knows who, how, why. And there's a lot of stories out there. But I don't believe that Lee Harvey Oswald shot him from a, a depository window uh, and made three shots and hit him. I don't believe that at all. But you say, well, that's what the, the government came out and said. I know. That's right. Government are made of a what? Men. And what does the Bible say? Men are liars. You know, they're trying to cover up things, trying to, you know, so they're deceptive. And I believe in that situation, our government was deceptive. I don't know why I'm saying this on the air right now. But anyway. uh, 
I'm not, but it's the truth. I'm not worried about it. So, but notice he goes on and tells us here in verse 13, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. And that's why it's so important. What does the Bible say? And base our beliefs upon the word of God. It's a sure foundation. It's, it's the word of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after you believed. You seal with the Holy Spirit promise. So the order is you have to hear the word of God. You have to believe what the word of God says. And that's important. If you're going to be saved, you've got to believe. And, and then you have to trust. That means you embrace it. That means you rest in it. You, you know, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. Now, that, this was not the way it was in the beginning. The way it was in the beginning was that the Spirit of God would come upon people, they were true converts, and then he would be lifted. But in the New Testament, after the book of Acts, when uh, the Jews first heard and believed, the Samaritans heard and believed, the Gentiles heard and believed, from then on in, the, the Bible teaches that people are sealed at the heard the word of truth, they believed it, they trusted it, they're sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. So let's go back to our text here. And notice uh, verse 27. He that searches the heart, hearts knoweth uh, what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, hath, he maketh intercession for the saints concerning the will of God. So again, the, Ro- the Romans 8 27, God is teaching us that the Spirit of God will make intercession for us. In verse 26, he speaks about the Spirit's groaning. And, you know, why? Because uh, our sin, because of our, our disobedience, our problems. But the Holy Spirit enters our life through hearing, believing, trusting, and then we're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, notice chapter 8 and verse 9, please. Chapter 8, verse 9, Romans, Paul says, For we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So if a person's been saved by God's grace, they're no longer in the flesh. They're in the spirit. Why? Because his Holy Spirit entered their lives. Now notice he goes on and says, If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to God. Now, you may have experiences. I mean, I've heard uh, a belly full of experience all my time of Christianity. People, you know, I remember there was a woman. I didn't know a person. I knew a, her nephew. Uh, she used to make statues cry. And uh, not only did they cry, they also bled. Now, this was a, a very demonic woman. And he showed me articles that were written in a newspaper that had her as a little girl uh, causing the statues to cry when Mary was crying and then also bleeding from her, her hands and, and her feet. So they were saying that, oh, Mary was crucified like Jesus. She was not. She wasn't. And this is all a, a, a demonic fabrication of what took place with Mary. Why? Because the Bible didn't teach that. It wasn't... You know, Jesus and Mary who died for our sins. It was Jesus. Amen? Mary is just a, a, a woman that bore him into the world. She, she, didn't, she didn't get any credit for our redemption. And the Catholics clearly teach this. 
So the idea that I've heard so many stories about, you know, unusual things that took place. But the reason I know it's not true, it's not based on the Bible. If it's not based on the Bible, these are fool's tales. These are experiences that people have because it's not based on the Bible. It's not true. So we see here that if the Holy Spirit were not sealed, uh, we don't belong to God, we don't belong to the Spirit. Now once we're sealed, we're sealed until the day of redemption. In other words, when the Holy Spirit returns uh, at the rapture or the taking away saints, we're going to be taken away uh, because uh, we have the Spirit. Now... um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible speaks about being filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine where it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, we're to walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 16. That, that can only take place after you're saved. And how do you walk in the Spirit? The Bible says, uh, you know, we have to be filled with the Word of, of, of God. With the word of, of the, we've got to be rich concerning the Word of Christ. And we have to hide God's word in our heart, and we're allowed, allowing God's word to transform our thinking, our mindset, our, our desires. And uh, again, we're walking the Spirit. So let me just use an example. I know it's very basic. Uh, let's see. Um, let's say uh, I, I'm going to say, oh, I'm saved, I'm, I'm going to heaven, but I'm living a disobedient life. I'm not, I live for years. But I'm, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Well, the life is telling me something different. It doesn't matter that people say, because we see that in Matthew 7. Many will say to me that, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied, not in thy name cast out, devil in thy name uh, done many wonderful works. They, the people are claiming they know God. And uh, beloved, uh, the people who are uh, involved with Islam, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, uh, all these ism, Catholicism, Protestant, they claim to know God. They, they even claim to have, uh, you know, the ability to see things. I remember one time my mother uh, had asked me one time, I was home on vacation, and she said to me, she said, John, she said, we're going to go see a picture. Of Jesus tonight. So, she said, his eyes move. Well, why did I suddenly go back to my days of Andy Griffith's show uh, in the haunted house that they had and the eyes were moving? So what? So what? His eyes were moving. What does that have to do? What does that have to do with the Bible? What does that have to do with truth? The eyes are moving. I mean, it, it could be a whole host of things. So you want to go? I said, no. Why would I want to go? You know, I want to watch something. I can watch something on TV with the eyes are moving. It's, it's signs and wonders, beloved. That's what it is. It's, it's all demonic. There's nothing based on the truth. There's nothing in the Bible about it. Where does it say, and when you see his eyes move, then, you know, it doesn't say that. So it's always, you know, 
It's always something fabricated. It's always smoke and mirrors. It's not the truth. And that's what we have to base our lives on. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And uh, so we find here that walk in the Spirit. The Bible commands us to do so. Now notice Ephesians chapter 6, please. Ephesians chapter 6, and we pick up here in verse 18. And the Bible says in verse 18, Praying always, now watch this, with all prayer and supplication in what? In the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So the idea that as we pray, we, we have to pray supplic- supplicating in the Spirit. The idea that you want the Spirit of God to lead you and guide you in your prayer time. Prayer is, prayer is not something we do by rote. It's not saying, oh, I've got to say my prayers. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep, oh, the Lord, my soul to keep. That's not it. Prayer is something that comes from the heart, the soul. And you're, you're requesting things. You're, you're praising God. You're thanking God. Is that real in your life? Is that something you do? I'm not saying that you did maybe months ago or years ago. I'm talking about that should be part of your daily life, of, of talking to God, I mean, of, of living for Christ, of serving, of worshiping, of adoring. This is what goes on in a child of God's life. And you say, well, I, I, it doesn't go in my life. I and mean, once in a while I do that. You're missing out, my friend. You're not, you're not living the spirit-filled life. You're not. Amen. So we, we see this. The prayer, which is effectual, will be in the spirit, seeking God's leadership and individually for our lives. So our lives should be filled with God. Filled with his son and filled with the spirit. The Bible teaches this, these three things. We need to be the filling of God. We need a filling of Christ and the filling of the spirit. In other words, we need a, the Godhead to fill us day in and day out. And I'll, I'll tell you this much, beloved. Uh, we would be far better off as a church if we're, we're seeking filling 24-7. Our church would have a greater presence of God Spirit and answer of prayer. Now let's go back here to verse 26. The Bible says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we see we're weak without the Spirit, the Spirit's leadership in our life. We, we have the Holy Spirit as our divine enabler. And we, we should not know, we, we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit will intercede for his children. Now there's times when we try to pray and when we're not able to pray. And in other words, uh, maybe we have a burden of some type. Sometimes we say, Lord, I, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. Uh, Lord, I, I don't know what you're going to do in this situation. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in those times. And uh, we feel uh, as we cannot pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us. 
So, um, you know, we, we have to be uh, careful uh, because uh, we, we want the Spirit to intercede for us. Why? Because he searches our hearts. And that's, that's important to understand. The Spirit of God searches our hearts. And uh, let me say this. I, I think it's important that, um, that uh, when you say the Spirit of God, God knows me. God knows my heart. Right. And that should be terrifying. That God knows my heart. You say, well, preacher, you know, I, I try to be right with God. Good. I, I do the same thing. But to say that God knows our hearts, that's, that's good. But the other side is important that we live a, a right life, that we're clean living, that we do the right thing. You know, we don't, we don't say that. I, I wouldn't say that as a lost person. Oh, God knows my heart. You know, unless I'm just ignorant of the, the ramifications of God knowing my heart. That makes sense? In other words, you know, if, if you're lost today, you don't want to say, oh, you know, flippantly, God knows my heart. Because he does. He knows everything about you. And so it should be a very sober statement of God knows my heart. God knows the desire. You know, I, I want to be saved. I want to live for Christ. I want to love God. We, we'll talk about that in the next service. But the other thing for a saved person, God does know our heart. He searches our heart. And he knows whether we belong to him or not. Amen? So this brings us to our text in verse 28. And we see, first of all, the fact of this promise. The Bible says in verse uh, 28, And we know that these three simple words express the child of God's absolute uh, security uh, uh, an eternal security in their life. And the apostle is not giving his opinion, but rather is stating that God's, what God's word says. And we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that every facet of our life is in control of the Lord. And we know. That's, that's a, a great verse of scripture for the child of God. And we know. Uh, there are many religions that do not teach the scriptures concerning eternal security. Uh, they teach that no one can know, uh, or, or you can lose your salvation. Now, I want to take you back to a, a verse in John chapter 10, and it's not the only verse, but such a good verse. John chapter 10. I want you to see this, if you would. In John chapter 10, we pick up here in verse 27. And this is what the Bible teaches, what the Bible means. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. <laughs> Excuse me. I know them, and they follow me. Now, you say, well, what does that really mean? <laughs> it means that God knows his sheep. They know his voice, and what do they do? They follow. You don't have to dig in very deep to figure that one out. And then God goes on and says here in verse uh, 28, and I give unto them eternal life. Now notice he says, I give unto them. Why? Because salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift from God. I give unto them. They receive my gift into their heart, their soul. 
They receive it because I give it to them. I've given them eternal life. So God, when he saves someone, he gives them eternal life. They're going to have, they're going to live forever. Now, you may have a hard time understanding this. I mean, I've had questions about this in my life. But just because you have questions doesn't mean you're not. Just having questions doesn't mean, you know, you're not going to experience this. But the Bible teaches, I'm not talking about doubting, beloved. I'm not speaking about it. I'm talking about people having genuine questions. How long is forever? I mean, that's a good thought to have. How long is forever? What are we going to do? How is it going to be in heaven? You know, and so on. And you, you study the word of God and you, you uh, yield yourself to what God's word says. And God's going to answer these things for you in your life. But the Bible says, I've given them eternal life. And look, look what God says here. I, I don't know what it's called uh, necessarily, but I think it may be uh, some kind of English term. Uh, I've given them eternal life and they shall never perish. So there's like a, I'm giving and they're not. They're going to have eternal life. Eternal life, to me, I'm expecting that. Why? Because my life proves I'm a child of God. I, I, my, my testimony is found in the Bible. And that's, that's important. I've, I've said that many times. Do you have testimony that lines up with the scriptures? Do you know? So God goes on and says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So, you know, this is what God is saying. That because we've received Christ, the gift of eternal life, we're now in God's hands. We're not only sealed with the Spirit, we also are in the hands of Jesus and we're in the hands of God. Now, tell me you're going to lose your salvation. There's no way. There's no way you, you and I can lose our salvation. Let's take a little further. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, notice um, what the Bible teaches here in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Now watch this. Blessed be the God of, of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. So this is, what is he saying here? Going back to John 3, we're born again, begotten again unto a what? A lively hope by the resurrection of our Jesus Christ from the dead. So the, the hope that lies or the expectation that lies within us is, is real because we've been made alive. Why? Because we've been born again. We're born from above. Now notice he said in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and faith not away reserved in heaven for you. Now my father uh, was supposed to receive an inheritance from his father. And his father was uh, divorced and then remarried. And the woman he remarried kind of uh, changed the will around. I don't know exactly what she did, but uh, Bernard got it. Nothing against you, Bernie. But Bernard got it, her son, and not my father. So my father was taken out of the will somehow, some way, and uh, he, the, 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 her son received all the inheritance. 
Now you say, well, well, that's terrible, preacher. Maybe it was good. Maybe the inheritance would have affected me in the wrong way. Maybe it would have you know, damned my family's soul. So, you know, I, I praise the Lord for that. But the Bible says here, in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible. Nothing's going to change the will of God. Undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So where's our salvation? Now, we know we're saved, but it's reserved in heaven. So there's not going to be a crooked lawyer or some schemer who's going to come along and try to take our inheritance from us, who are kept by the power of God through faith on the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, you know, we're so saved uh, that it, it's not going to have an effect on us. There's no way we can lose our salvation. Because we are saved. We're converted. We, we're children of God. And that's an important thing to know. And you say, well, you know, I don't know what I'm saved, but I believe I am. But that's not good enough. You, you've got to know. And um, again, you've got to answer that question. Do I know? So we, we find here, again, we believe uh, we believe that this appropriation of salvation was made at the moment of salvation. Even when we uh, can be challenged to believe, it, it must be by faith. And uh, this is formulated uh, to us by the example we read in the scriptures. And uh, let's see here. Uh, consider the man Job. We'll just touch on this and we'll close. Uh, in the midst of his trials, one would think that there was no hope for him. I mean, you know, Job was said by his, his friends that it's God's judgment on him and God's doing this and all that. So I remember years ago, uh, I think it was 1983, I was uh, diagnosed with a brain aneurysm. So that's what's wrong with you. No, that's not exactly true. So uh, they thought I had a brain aneurysm. And I was up in Grand Forks and I had these terrible headaches and uh, I was debilitated. So they sent me back to New York to uh, do an MRI. And this was back in 83. The MRIs were not official. Not, they weren't uh, according to uh, the FDA, FDA and so on. So um, anyway, I went back and they, they checked me out and they said there's nothing up there, which was a surprise, right? So um, I was all clear from that. But the thing was this, and I'll never forget this. People in our church at the time said that Brother Graf is done with. God's done using them. And, uh, you know, that's fine. People, people say foolish things. I've done it before. But, you know, God is not done unless God says he's done. Right? And God's always doing a work in our life. And uh, praise the Lord. You know, people said that when I had a stroke. Oh, he's done with. And, uh, you know, I can have a stroke today. I don't, I'm not planning on it, but I could. I mean, I, my life is, you know, in God's hands. And I'm not worried about these things. So the, the idea is that, you know, Job was a man who went through all these trials, all these difficulties. People saying, oh, you're done with Job. God's not going to use you anymore. He lost everything. I mean, beloved, he was the wealthiest man in the world at the time. And... Uh, not only did he lose everything, but um, he suffered greatly. And why? It was all demonic. All the pressure put on him from the devil. 
But the Bible tells us here in verse chapter 42, let's just turn there, we'll close. Chapter 42. And uh, we pick up here in chapter 42, and let's see here. Verse 1, the Bible says, Then Job and the Lord <clears throat> said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholding from thee. And then we pick up in verse uh, chapter 10, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 42, verse 10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all the brethren, all the sisters, all the they had uh, been a, a, of his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house, and did bemoan him and comfort him uh, over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man and gave him a, a piece of money, and uh, everyone an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, uh, 1,000 yoke oxen, and 1,000 uh, she-asses. And he, uh, he had seven sons and three daughters. So God blessed him greatly. And uh, the Bible tells us that everything he lost, he gained back with even more. So what I'm saying is that, you know, God is working in our lives. This is Romans 8.28 in Job's life. And some of you could give testimony and say, preacher, one, one time financially, we were without, but God blessed me. I came back. And so praise the Lord. And there's a lesson learned here. And Job learned to walk humbly, more humbly than he had. Amen? So we'll have to close here. We'll pick this up maybe Wednesday night. Not sure. But uh, let's go to Lord in prayer and thank God for Romans 8.28.